Welcome back to another episode of The Network Age. I'm Hapsel Rigner, and I'm joined, as always, by my incredibly handsome co-host, Mitchell Ritson. Due to being at Assembly in Lisbon, Mitchell will be joining me for the podcast, but not for the introduction to it. In this extra special episode, we're joined by Henning Dietrich, creator of Lexon, a groundbreaking tool for the legal and programming worlds. Lexon is more than just a programming language. It's a revolutionary way to express legal contracts in a format that's understandable to humans and executable by machines. But we're not stopping at the technicalities. Henning will also delve into the philosophy that underpins Lexon, discussing how language and meaning intersect in the context of contracts. We'll explore real-world applications, too, from trade law to the fascinating concept of art blockchains, where artists could be guaranteed a cut from the resale of their fine art. So whether you're a coder, a legal eagle, or just someone intrigued by the future of decentralized systems and law, you won't want to miss this episode. Let's dive in. Welcome back. And now we are joined by the inimitable Henning Dietrich, the creator of Lexon, a human-readable programming language with special applications for smart contracts. Henning, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you. How are you? Doing great. Yeah. And we're, we're really excited to have you on. Lexon is a really interesting project, especially for people like me who are, who are not so technical. You know, I, I am in the tech world, but I look at computer languages and programming and it just immediately gives me a panic attack. And yet when I look at, um, Lexon and some of the things you're doing, I can read it. I can understand it. I can often see exactly what the, the language is trying to do. And that's, I think, really exciting. Yeah, that's exactly what it was made for, right? And I, I mean, you're, you're being a little bit facetious, I guess, but I hope no, that's... No, actually... I really am not. <laughs> sounds sounded a little like it, but um, <laughs> what you're expressing is exactly what Lexon is for, right? The idea is that um, if you think about developing smart contracts, or even also if you think about um, uh, normal programs uh, to to really expand what the developer team is to really expand who is included in being able to comment on what a program means, what a smart contract means, and empowering people, right? And hopefully, um, for you as a non-programmer, that's exactly what what the feeling is that you're describing. That wow, all of a sudden I can read this, right? So that's that's the very idea. Yeah, so I, I think it's really great because. The, you know, so many people in the, the crypto world talk about, you know, like one of the buzzwords is democratizing or giving access to things. And the problem is that on a technical level, so much of this industry is, is really inaccessible. You really have to be an expert in something. Even sometimes setting up a wallet is, is overwhelming for, you know, your average computer user. And it seems like something like Lexon might actually be a first step into making programmatic interaction with Web3 possible for a, a, a large swath of the population. Yes, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head, right? Because it's, it's really like, it's all about trustless, right? You don't have to trust anybody, mm -hmm. except you have to trust the programmers, right? So the programmers <laughs> become the dark. Um, you have to trust them that actually the smart country really, really does what they say it does, right? And that's that's exactly the, the point where Lexon comes in and if you think of a DAO, right, where there are programming and non-programming members, it really uh, empowers the non-programming members, uh, non-programmer members, to also be able to to understand what a DAO means, and that's that's very much what it's all about. And 
I think really adding a something that we like to overlook, but in reality, everybody knows it's there, right? Um, and we programmers are, in a sense, bottlenecking this this situation, and we don't care. I mean, we can we can read the code. <laughs> um, this hopefully is is really another way of democratizing the whole um, the whole ecosystem. We just have to uh, trust that the that the code that we're reading is being compiled in the way that uh, <laughs> you say it's being compiled. <laughs> exactly. Like the end game would certainly be that you want to have a Lexon compiler that's totally audited and mm-hmm. um, that that has this guarantee. And there's even a philosophical uh, question there that one um, professor of computer sciences, uh, Chris Clackey, likes to um, refer to with all all um, projects that are of this nature. How do we know? Um, well, really what he's saying is how do we know what we mean? Um, when we read a sentence, how do we know that the computer is going to do um, what we think it's going to uh, mean or how do we understand what a sentence is right so it's a really complex question where the problem is not so much the the way from uh from the lexon code to the machine because that's pretty deterministic but the problem is more like from the lexon code to human brain because that part is is uh pretty blurry right but there's a very <laughs> old answer um to that and i hope um, i'll be writing a paper about this um because this question keeps coming up and you have to answer it to be able to say that yes, in fact, the computer is going to do what um, what you think <laughs> the mm-hmm. sentence means. There's a sort of epistemological like question there about about knowledge. I mean, and this is what you know our our whole system of law is now is is arguing over semantics and you know what one word means and what what doesn't. It seems like a a huge task to to have a computer being able to parse what what humans can't even parse you know it can't there's nothing deterministic about the way we use language between each other and yet you're or, or maybe not nothing but there is there's gray areas there's um there's places that we still uh disagree and, and argue about and then to map that onto programs that ideally are doing exactly what we tell them to seems like a, a monumental task Yes. So, and I think Capsule, you, uh, you studied linguistics and um, maybe I'm still allowed to say that linguistic actually uh, fails us um, until now, right? There is no... <laughs> it's, it's fine to say because I don't work as a linguist anymore. So, you know... Fighting yeah. words. <laughs> yeah. I studied, um, I studied philosophy and then linguistics and I don't do either of those things, you know? Right. So maybe for a reason, right? And um, <laughs> it's, it's clear that, that uh, logic The pay failed. is not good. <laughs> okay, that's something else. That's one but, reason, anyway. <laughs> it's the same like philosophy um, and logic basically failed um, the law profession for a very long time. So that now um, professionals like, like education and law is not including logic lessons anymore. Because logic is really or for a long time logic just fell short like to actually solve real world problems um what aristotle had come up with and then what happened for the next 2000 years which is not complex enough um it really had to uh it, it took higher order logic to arrive um to to be able to re- really reason about cases to reason about the real world in a matter that you can make decisions in court right 
So there's a lot of things where um, that are coming together in this time where in the past, you know, we all grew up with certain um, uh, models of the world um, where I think everybody's influenced in how you learn in school, like there's a subject and there's a verb and, oh yeah, that's all pretty easy, right? It's pretty clear. But then as soon as, you know, the stuff you learn in high school, that's pretty regular, but as soon as you dabble, you know, into what comes after that, when it gets a little more complex, it gets really chaotic with no real um, consensus, uh, even in, in the community of linguists about what is what and what should be called what. Um, and that's, that's a blurry part that you, that you get into if you try to parse language or that you have to stay out of and stay modest and say, well, okay, mm -hmm. let's stay with very modest, clear sentences. And that's also a way to stay um, unambiguous and, and be clear. And that's very much what I'm, what I'm doing with Lexon, right? It's a very clear, simple grammar. Um, it's elegance is in that it can be understood both by machines and humans, but it's not something that you will write poems in, right? Uh, not yet. I think that eventually, you know, when uh, when Lexon really takes off, right? Yeah, I, I hear you. somebody yeah. will do it for sure. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, well, I this is interesting because the project lies at the intersection of of so many different disciplines that we've as we've been talking about philosophy, linguists, uh, linguistics, law, computer science. Um, how did you arrive at this idea of this of this natural language? Um, Net programming language. What is your path and, and background that brought you here? Yeah, in the, in the beginning, it was just a crazy idea. I mean, I was uh, at that time point <laughs> working at IBM and um, I was giving talks in the, in the blockchain talk circuit with uh, the Koala um, community. And um, there were a lot of lawyers in there uh, that were very early pioneers and trying to translate um, to lawmakers and to regulators what smart contracts actually are and how, you know, they shouldn't be regulated to death before they even come into their, into their own. And in that course, we also discussed, like, looking at it, what, you know, the, the uh, stances of law as code or code as law, um, what is it, right? Um, what is a smart contract? in front of the law, right? What is a DAO, really? And there were interesting ideas, like Carla Reyes, for example, explained how DAOs really are trusts, right? The, the trust law is not used much anymore, but it's still on the books in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, stuff like this, right? And then we were also, of course, inspecting what a smart contract is. And I was back then um, also presenting about IBM's um, concept of the democracy of things. So that was the idea to have smart contracts governing the relationship between um, household gadgets and smart gadgets at home. And the idea was they would all talk to each other and bargain with each other and use blockchain to trade with each other. And the question, of course, arose that, okay, so if the smart contracts really do what they're supposed to do, but somebody sues you at any rate, right, with a frivolous lawsuit, how do you prove to a judge that, um, that the smart contract actually does what it was supposed to do? And that's where the idea came from. And then uh, at one point I was at a conference where judges were at Stetson in Florida, like a renowned mm. law school. They were basically laughing about this idea that they would ever look at a smart contract, right? They said they would pull every trick on the book um, <laughs> to not look at a smart contract. And then in the end, they would call in the experts, but still not look at it. 
So that really drove home how far from the reality um, of law smart contracts were. And because I had um, worked in um, computer language creation before, I had created a computer language for the insurance industry that was actually used for a very long time, um, specialized for expressing insurance tariffs. So I had a couple of years under the belt um, of how to create languages. And I also just loved it, right? I would um, the last project I did before Lexon was basically an Elven dialect of Lisp. Um, <laughs> I would, That's awesome. I Lisp, you look, you take Lord of the Rings, Quenya uh, keywords. So, and I, I just over Christmas I just tried: is it possible to write a programming language that, that's actually human readable? And it actually turned out better than I thought like because in the beginning I always thought you would have to explain some things like at least the meaning of the colon or something right or the dot or but turns out that really by by going really hard on making it as readable as possible um, you can actually get to a point where somebody can read it and it's not ambiguous and we've worked a lot on this right with lawyers too um, and you do not have to learn anything uh, up front. There's no conventions that you have to understand beyond what you know from human language, which is a lot, right? You just have to use it, right? Um, <laughs> Harder and, for some people than others. Well, I'm trying to really stay foolproof. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of testing, right? There's a lot of discussions about single words, like the word may, for example, right? There's a huge discussion about how this should be used and what functions it should be used. And in doubt, I'm always restricting what you can do, right? So that it mm -hmm. stays, um, it stays unambiguous. That nobody has to ask. Okay, so is the or now connecting with higher precedence than the end? No. When in every programming language, the end has higher, or not in every programming language, but most programming language, end has a higher precedence than or as an operator, and all of this is cut out, right? Exxon is not using these conventions that are coming from programming, but really. Uh, in, in normal language, that's just not clear, right? Sometimes it is clear, but it's not clear enough for a contract. So I'm not going there. Can you, um, since since we were um, talking, I want to go back to, to the philosophy for a little bit. And there are a couple of um, questions about Lexon that I want to ask. One, which you gave me in our conversation yesterday, why don't I just use a generative AI to, you know, if if I, if I want to generate some, some code now i can just uh tell the generative ai what i want and it will create a smart contract for me why can't i trust to that yes so what lexon does and what ChatGPT, for example does is, is super complementary ChatGPT really basically looks backward right it looks at everything that has been created that it can find and then creates new text from it but then lexon basically it's lexon's um, part as soon as you want to execute that text because that's really what it's about right this the Lexon text is magically a smart contract that cannot be broken, that can run on the blockchain. You can also perform it just as JavaScript if you want, but it's about the execution. And at that point, of course, you want to have um, attributes that are very often the opposite of what generative AI is known for, right? You want this to be transparent in what it does. You want to have agency about, you know, really being able to tell it exactly what it's supposed to do and not guessing intelligent prompts and you don't want to have any hallucination it has to be completely deterministic <laughs> right mm -hmm. uh, and even one percent off is not 
good enough for for a smart contract. <laughs> so um, that's why what what Lexon's really based on is symbolic AI. That's kind of the older AI. That's from the time when people still hope that you would have a sentient machine soon. And uh, generative AI really that's more based on statistics, um, and is basically took over a couple decades ago. And now everybody, when thinking about AI, everybody thinks of generative AI, right? But before it was symbolic AI. It was stuff like Prolog or Lisp. And that was always about, you know, um, the hope to really articulate pretty exactly what you want the meaning of of a uh, of a program in this case or of a thought of a agreement to be. And in that sense, because I'm I'm also using tools basically from that time, um, I'm I'm really proposing that the complementary nature of those two, um, and I'm not the first one proposing this, right? Will in the future probably come together so that generative AI uh, can do what it does best, and that's basically doing the first part, the brainstorming part, if you want, um, to get to a text, and then the execution of the text, though, after it has been checked by a human. Uh, that is in in the middle in between, so to say, that it really is what 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 you want to do. Mm-hmm. Then the execution of it is done by symbolic AI. The the really important thing it feels like you hit on there is the idea of transparency, and that it it is possible for a, a human to look at the you know the Lexon code and check it and parse it and trust it, and there's the it's inevitable that AI is going to be integrated into more and more of our lives. And there's a lot of debate about the best way to do that without completely surrendering control. But as someone, once again, who doesn't have a ton of technical proficiency, any code that is given to me by ChatGPT or other any other AI system, I have no choice but to blindly trust it if I want to implement it. There's no way for me to institute a system of checks and balances myself without bringing in some other party and connecting something like that with uh, Lexon with a system that I can and parse really it, it does um, feel empowering and like you said like Lexon is potentially a, could potentially be a really important tool um, for making you know programming with that AI safer yes because it's really it's really adding exactly the the weaknesses uh, it's filling up for the weaknesses of generative AI right and the key word there is agency basically I mean the the patterns that generative AI works with are nameless right they, they, they you cannot unend them right it's uh, something miraculously happening from sifting through <laughs> pools of data it's completely the opposite right it doesn't use a lot of data at all right it's 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 really small. In how it works, it's also not uh, power hungry. It's not resource hungry, um, and that's it's, it's fascinating how it's um, so complementary. Really, you were um, we were talking about uh, yesterday as well, uh, like the it, as part of the design philosophy. Um, you throw out nouns, which um, you know sounds extreme. I use but, nouns all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just use them, and then I throw them out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right, right, right. They they get used, and then, uh, but I guess abstracted away maybe uh, is uh, the way to say it. And in fact, um, the 
what you have is a web of meaning um, from the sort of verb or uh, the the connections between between the nouns that you've abstracted away. Can you yeah. like go into a little bit about the I guess philosophy yeah. that that brings you to that point? Yes, I mean um, lexon at first glance can be a little bit surprising in how it operates, right? But I think it only is because of the um, because of how analytical philosophy had a very strong hope that you would be able to get to the meaning of things by defining words really well. Like the focus was really for the last hundred years in philosophy, and but it's only for the last hundred years, um, very much on the meaning of nouns and, and words in general. Now, even Wittgenstein, uh, towards the end of his life, was basically backtracking and um, giving a new definition um, that was uh, completely uh, uh, casting out what he had written about earlier. Um, and the definition is more or less an, uh, a word should be understood from its function in a text. And that is pretty much what Lexon does, if you think about it. It's not like I read Wittgenstein and then had the idea for Lexon. But if you look <laughs> at what Lexon does, and then all of a sudden this definition of what Wittgenstein is demanding makes sense. And it's really also not surprising at all if you if you think of a mathematical formula. It's immediately clear that if you have a formula with ABC, you can just replace ABC with XYZ, right? And the formula would still mean the same. And that's also the same with programming code. If you replace the names of the variables, Variables are just helpers for you to be able to read the code easier, but you can throw them out. What The only thing that is important is that you don't mix them up, what's throwing them out, right? Where you're referring to A, if you exchange that for X, that's cool, but you have to exchange all the A's for X's. That's the only thing that matters, that they give identity. And that seems to be something that actually, Nexon kind of proves this. Um, that is true also for a contract. And if you think about it, in contracts very often, uh, normal nouns are being put in quotes uh, to, or capitalized to make clear this means one specific buyer. This means one specific customer, just not just any customer, right? Mm -hmm. So you also have this effect that nouns are being elevated to specific identifiers and kind of um, removed from the general meaning a little bit, you know? And what the noun actually means is not as important anymore. You could replace it in a good contract also with party one, party two, right? And in fact, that happens. So for a judge, um, it is always going to be the process that um, the judge looks through the common meaning of a noun towards what it is actually identifying in the context of this contract. And that's exactly what Lexon is also doing, right? And um, for a programming language, for a compiler, it's nothing special at all. Compilers also throw away the the the, the vocab the variable names, and they just keep them for debugging purposes sometimes to to make it easier for for the human to uh, inspect the program. But the actual meaning of a program, of course, is not discarded. So it's fascinating that you can discard the nouns, and compilers do this all the time, and you still have the original meaning of what a document, what a, what a program um, does. And I think this is only surprising because of how we're primed by 
the last hundred years of philosophy, which is also, it has run its course more or less. It's clear that something new is coming up. Uh, Hapsul, you might be able to, to talk to that. Well, I can, um, I can talk to like what I said to you, which is that I had the same experience that a lot of people have, which is when, when I was in undergraduate, I read uh, Wittgenstein, which I can't pronounce as beautifully as you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, after reading Wittgenstein, I thought, uh, I should probably, there's nothing else for me to do. You know, so I've got to, I've got to go so you became do something a podcast else. Host? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I did the, <laughs> the terrible millennial thing and became a podcast host. Yeah. No, a bit um, in this verse, he, he literally writes, right? The rest is silence. Mm. Uh, so he and thought now he saw. Now I'm living that. Yeah. Or, or you're talking all the time. You're the, you're I'm, the I'm talking all the time to fill up the silence. <laughs> um. Well, uh, Henning, you mentioned the compiler, and I think that's you know a, a good transition into talking a little bit about how Lexon works technically, right? Because there is this step that we we haven't dove into yet, which is we have the natural language, and obviously the the machine, the hardware cannot understand that on its own. So what? Um, what does compiling look like and what needs to happen to the language in order to become machine readable? Yeah, so the way that you work with Lexon um, is that you have to adhere to a very strict grammar. It's called a controlled grammar. It's a reduced form that is a subset of what you can uh, express in English. It's a very reduced subset. It's unambiguous. And uh, it is, it's very clear sentences. And I can, uh, I can screen share. And Yeah, this would be a good time to show us yeah. some, some um, code. So this is, the, this is the compiler. And here we have an example. And it reads uh, basically Lex escrow. That means, okay, that's the head. That's where it starts. And then there are a couple of definitions. Like you have in a normal um, paper contract, and it just says payer is a person, payee is a person, arbiter is a person, fee is an amount, amount is an amount. Um, and then it starts with a recital, which is just um, introducing what happens before the whole contract starts, so to say. And in this example, we're basically going by the premise that the the payer is going to propose this contract and the payee is going to enter into it if, if the payer, payee wants, and if not, then nothing happens. So the recital, obviously, for a programmer, it's the constructor, right, of the smart contract. So it says the payer pays an amount into escrow, appoints the payee, appoints the arbiter, and fixes the fee. And then the actual meat of the matter is the, the payout clause that comes next. So it just reads that clause, payout, the arbiter may pay from escrow the fee to themselves, and afterwards pay the remainder of the escrow to the payee. And if I, if I press compile, then in this case, um, you get a Sophia um, smart contract that runs on the Eternity blockchain. You can also compile to JavaScript or to Solidity. And you basically, you know, you have here the, the payout clause here. Um, that's the actual code um, that is being created that, that is doing exactly that, uh, what is expressed here. Uh, as an aside, you also see here as a comment, the original uh, payout clause from Lexon. Because yeah, it serves as a command, right? It's um, it's self-documenting, and and it can also be used to document the um, the resulting code. Now here, if you if you look at the second clause in this, it's called payback. The interesting thing is that um, 
we'll just delete this. No, you, you already saw it, but I'm not now I'm taking this away. Um as a as a task to you guys, right? Uh how does the payback clause read? Um if what it's supposed to do is just that the money or the, the tokens are not going to the payee, but they're going to the back to the payer. So how would the payout the payback clause read? I just deleted it, right? Make a task gonna for them. get us in trouble here. Now um, yeah. now we're on the spot. Yeah, the <laughs> the arbiter may pay from escrow the fee to themselves, and afterwards pay the remainder of the escrow to the payer. Is it is it just swapping exactly. out that one word? Yeah, it's just this letter actually. That's, yeah. that's strange. Um, but still, I mean, this is this is how simple it is, right? You basically mm -hmm. just programmed, right? After wow. a couple of minutes explaining, um, it's the best I've ever been programming. Now, yeah. I, I told you it's empowering, right? So if you want to, if you want, if you want, just want the arbiter to not get the fee, right? What do you think? I have to delete the first clause. You, you're technically right, but or, I guess clause you meant clauses. I mean, I mean, the payout, the, the payout clause, right now expresses that the arbiter gets the fee, right? Mm -hmm. Now imagine you want to change the contract. So you don't want the arbiter to get the fee. What do you yeah. think you have to delete? How, do, how should it read after that so the arbiter doesn't get the fee? The arbiter pays the uh, the escrow to the payee. Yeah. So what what do you, from where do where do you think I have to delete? Man, that goes to May now. Uh, I, I'll, I'll uh, do that. Right. The, <laughs> uh, May, right. And that's now mm -hmm. about writing like so. But. It's essentially you just delete this part, right? Yeah. And you can delete the remainder. Uh, and, th and this is something that, you know, Lexon, quote unquote, understands. Like it's, it's that simple. Yeah. All you have to do is delete that. Yeah. So, and that's, that's, that's all about how I'm following the natural language, the, the sense that natural language makes, that the natural language grammar. And while the sentences that we have here in front of us are, are very simple sentences, right? As I said, you, you're not going to write poetry with it, but they're very straightforward sentences. Um, they can be much more complex. I mean, there are examples on the Lexon website um, where it's like really, there's really complex expressions that you can make, but they stay unambiguous um, with the help of commas um, that, um, at least always I used to that if you put a comma somewhere or a semicolon, then that, that is going to be um, something like you use brackets for in programming normally. But the essence of it is that it is that simple. Like if it reads right grammatically, it is going to compile right. And that's really something where I think maybe Lexon might at a certain point become uh, even a mainstream programming language because you're getting a lot for free that you do not have as a programmer normally. Even if you're very good at a, at a certain programming language, it takes a while until you can, you know, just glean from the code and intuit, oh, that doesn't read right. But with natural language, you have all of your, you know, there's so many parts of the brain that are really huge parts um, mm -hmm. because speaking is complex and we can use that all of a sudden. So that's, um, yeah, and then there are more examples here um, that's a very simple example, you know, just burn 
uh, tokens basically um, all that happens is somebody is putting tokens in there but they never they can never get it back out you know the next step is now they can be taken back out so it's like putting the money on the table to demonstrate you have it um, <laughs> it gets success successively uh, more more complex you have you have a manual here I mean you can you can go over to the manual that's explaining everything um, from mm -hmm. the start and you have a lot of uh, this uh, the vocabulary here where we can jump around and basically look at what individual words mean and then also just go like okay so what does define mean okay it means this and then you can look at uh, examples where it is actually used um in the context of a of a whole in this case quite uh, complex contract that is actually a proposal for a st u.s statute for u.s trade law so this mm. is not a smart contract but it is a this professor wrote a paper about it um how this could be made part of the um UCC trade law of the US um so yeah it's 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 pretty broad what you can do with it it's totally um can play around with it really nicely here to just get a feel for it in a sense because i also think that um the way that you learn nexon is um maybe closer to how you learn a natural language in that you just um you have to to look at it uh uh get an get an idea of what you can write what 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 is allowable uh, very much how you're learning a natural language but that's just the writing right the mm -hmm. reading should when i get it right um it should always just have no uh condition right it's just, just you should just be able to read it the writing though can be more demanding because it can be difficult to to forget you know unlearn what you know you can you should normally be able to use in in english but next on it's just a subset right so that's going to be more demanding but even mm -hmm. that is similar to learn to ex to write contracts as a lawyer right where you have special ways of expressing things you just don't you don't just write it down but there are certain ways to express yourself are mm -hmm. those the i saw the quotations when you were nominating like payer and payee, are they necessary? Do you have to do that? Yes. At the beginning? So that's, that is also, it's like in a paper contract, right? Mm. But it's also helping you to, to yeah, stay I'm, aware. I, I yeah. ask because I'm remembering those, you know, like every time I've ever uh, signed a lease or something, that it's, it's the same as sort of a, a legal con legally binding contract. It's all exactly. in, in quotations when they nominate you. Yeah. Right. And uh and Exxon tries to stay close to what lawyers feel at home with. Um it's demanding enough. Um but uh, at the same time, of course, the, the, the common structure of an agreement uh, of a paper contract makes a lot of sense, right? That has emerged because it just is practical. And and Exxon has a very similar structure. Mm -hmm. And you you hit on something already that I was interested in, which is, you know, I've before preparing for this this interview, you know, I hadn't seen Lexon code before, right? And yet I understood it right from the first second that I looked at it, right? And that's such a immediately clear value proposition. And then to transition to writing it, obviously there is still some some learning, some practice that is that is necessary. And you you compared it to learning a natural language, you compared it to learning law. I, I'm curious, as you have um, worked with people or talked to people that are learning Lexon or playing around with it for the first time, what has their experience been like? Does it does it sort of come naturally? Are there certain 
like logical sticking points, places that people tend to get caught up on? Or is it really just a matter of, hey, you you put in the time, you learn the rules and you'll get there? Yeah, it's actually pretty fast. Um, we just had a wonderful uh, uh, seminar on a castle um, where we were just uh, coming together um, and there was people from uh, all different walks of life, right? Uh, an architect, uh, a bureaucrat, like he likes to um, call himself, from uh, from health insurance billing. Uh, that, that was his background. Um, stuff like that, right? All different kinds of uh, experiences and, and professions in the, in the back. And it was really amazing to see how everybody had a, had a good idea for a use case, completely different because they were, you know, based on their um, uh, interest. And how everyone was, was able to, within a very short time, actually, um, jot down basically how that would look next on what they wanted to express, like the smart contract they wanted to create. So that really seems to work for everybody. It takes a little bit of courage if you try to do it yourself. Um, and again, I mean, the example we just looked at, um, that was, that's again, that's uh, Professor Carla Reyes. She just took it and ran with it. Um, and that's not what every, what every law professional is going to do or academic is going to do. But um, it's amazing how empowering it seems to be that people are um, able to read the code themselves, right? Uh, some are really happy for it. <laughs> There's no other word to express it. And we, we did have this Eureka moment also where um, someone was basically uh, feeling, oh, I programmed for the first time in my life. Awesome. And it, and it runs, right? It works. Uh, and it's all readable. So having said that, um, there is clearly in, in the history of Lexon, there has been this choice of maximizing readability. And as I said in the beginning, it actually got better than I thought it could, but also because I wanted the writing to also be as simple as possible. But at some point, um, I was convinced that I got convinced that a program as well as a contract is more often read than written. So mm. it makes sense to optimize it for reading. And it seems that's actually, that was the right choice. It made writing harder because the more elegant the, the reading is, the less you have to, um, to anchor your thought in when you're writing, right? Because it looks so much like normal language, but it isn't. You're not allowed to just express yourself as the way you want. You have to um, obey it to certain uh, patterns. So the kind of, because it's so easy to read, it, it almost makes it harder to write, right? And um, still, I mean, the experience um, just from the seminar, um, which is super important for me, of course, as feedback to understand um, how to best teach it, how to best um, create the material, and also to, how to change it, right? So it's easier to write or easier to read or mm -hmm. whatever I can do, whatever I'm taking from it. Um, but the experience was quite good. I mean, it was, it was quite fascinating. It was very inspiring. Um, yeah. I think everybody was really like, yeah, again, I mean, the word empowerment, uh, I think, is correct. It's, it's describing uh, accurately what, what what happened. I mean, the room was really uh, humming from excitement at a certain point, which um, I maybe didn't even expect, right? But it was really a reality that people uh, people really felt like, oh, I learned something. I really, mm -hmm. uh, there was really this moment, right? So that was beautiful. Well, it's, what, you, what you said makes sense to me because it's it's so 
easy to read. It almost gives the illusion of a type of simplicity or, or, you know, a total, um, that is totally mimetic to human like language. Like it, it gives it like reading that you're like, Oh, I could say anything because you recognize it, but it, the, the rules are, are hidden in a way that could be, I think a little, a little tricky for someone coming in for the first time. Yes, it is. It totally is. Right. Because, uh, um, because of the simplicity in reading it, um, of course, that somehow implies it should also be very easy to write. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it is, right? You just have to understand a certain, like the main sentence pattern basically is there's a subject and then there's a verb and there's an object and that's like it always is. But then you can put a may in between the subject and verb. So you can say, now, after may, now we have to ask, what does a may mean? What does may mean? <laughs> the word may, right? Yeah. It just means that um, from a programming point of view, it just means like it's only the arbiter who can do this. And that's that's one of the examples when we have a lot of discussions with lawyers. Is that really what may means to a lawyer? Is that or does do yeah, we have to put I, something else down? Yeah, I would I would argue that that makes sense for a lawyer, but maybe not so much for like a layman uh, it, because it 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 makes a it layman. sound. Right. It's <laughs> terrible. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, no, but I mean, may here say meaning that the person just named is um, the only person who is allowed to do this thing. He's he's the one who may do it. Whereas uh, in sort of common common parlance, I suppose, not lawyer speak, you would think that may means oh that he's allowed. You know, like this is a possibility, right? That he um, might do this thing or might not do this thing. Whereas it seems to be like what you mean by may is that, and what lawyers I think mean by may is that that the party just named is the one who is allowed to do whatever action. Yes, but you said the same thing twice. Did you mean to say that they must do it? Um. No, that are you that saying it's restrictive it's, that only this one person can do right, it? Right, I, I mean that it's restricted others. to that. Right, that it's restricted to that party. So, like, only. Right, I'm super curious to to understand your intuition. What what do you feel this is expressing to non lawyers? Um, I think that the word "may" to non lawyers means that that it is, um, a an option, an option, or or something that and might happen. It, it is. That's correct. And lawyers, I think, understand the same. What, what, what do you think? Do lawyers understand differently? Um, I, I think that the, the difference here is just that that may I, now now we may be like um, really parsing the language and, and get deep into it. But <laughs> yeah, um, I, it seems that that may is kind of like, um, you know, maybe I am saying the same thing at the bottom. My my understanding of what of what you're saying before we realize that we're getting too deep on may and and pivot my understanding of what you're saying is that in um in conversation may gives one person an option to do something but does not restrict anyone else from doing it it sort of is right. one option among many whereas you're saying that you think that in this contract May, sense, yeah. it grants right, right, specific right. It only, power to it only take means action that, that, to one individual. Right, right, So right. what you're saying is basically uh, you could think that, oh, the payee, of course, 
also can do this and we don't even have to say it. But then again, it's it's a contract, right? Right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be usual that somebody... Yeah, so I'm just saying that this that this understanding of May, you you at least have to come to to the realization of of you know we're dealing in in contractual terms and, and well, so I, I think that the the thing here is sort of like in in contracts right like it's the all that can happen is that which is enumerated right we're laying out all the specific possi possibilities of things that we think can happen or would allow it to happen and it is restricted to what has been laid out and just in life the way we speak right there's infinite possibilities for for everything right when you when there's you can do anything whether or not it's it's been said and i i think that is like the the thing here not just with may but in general is that you have to be really careful to lay out all of the all of the possible scenarios that you anticipate and would want to to occur or have a specific thing occur in response to it. So this this discussion, of course, this is exactly what we had been discussing. This, this <laughs> it is, it is uh, clear to me. Riveting that dinner table conversation. Well, I mean, if, if this if this is something that is in the way, then Lexon will be changed to mm -hmm. uh, that, that you have to add and nobody else can. Nobody else may, right? You just will have to add that in the end then to make it really unambiguous, right? Because that's the that's the ambition, right? So that somebody nobody is going to be, even if they're not a lawyer, nobody is going to be left in the dark about what this actually means. And if it takes, you know, another half phrase, um, then that's fine, right? Yeah, the the meaning here would be like um, the uh, the arbiter and only the arbiter or something like that right yeah but yeah I, that's something that's yeah and and i think that that is what is meant by may in the legal yeah. sense but yeah. maybe someone well, who's... i'll take this i'll take this and run with it and maybe lexon 0.4 is going to have, uh, <laughs> you'll get exactly your credit hapsel i think that what's gonna <laughs> yeah like uh, my value here is as the the idiot coming to the table you know, with the, and you, you want it totally idiot proof. So actually it's quite, potentially <laughs> quite valuable. <laughs> yeah. You can say it in a more polite way, but um, I'm saying it about myself. So it's okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so Lexon, right. We've been talking about smart contracts. It's application to smart contracts though. Obviously it potentially could be a more general purpose language, but we maybe should talk about the blockchain component for a bit. Um, what blockchain is, um, is Lexon being implemented on? Is it, is it limited to one in particular or where have you seen it being applied? What is it, what blockchains is it being used on? So the, the, the first, um, target obviously was Ethereum. What I just showed is the compiler that runs on the Eternity blockchain now, um, where there's a Lex token um, that can be used to basically um, do one compilation. So that's um, that's what this website does. And um, you can also compile to JavaScript, which is something that I created uh, specifically for computational law. Uh, people who are in generally not so interested in blockchain, that just makes everything more complicated. They're really interested in being able to analyze a contract, and Lexon does that for you, basically. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a trustful uh, version there too. 
Um, the Eternity blockchain um, is uh, what what we have implemented the first compiler platform now for. Um, it's it's very fast, it's very cheap, so it's a really great sandbox, a really great um, uh, platform to have do-it-yourself contracts. So there's, there's a lot more economic than what you can do on on Ethereum at this point, and uh, it's it's really uh, a, a micro billing application like we used to hope in the beginning, like um, many years mm. back, that we would be able to do with uh, Ethereum. Uh, now you can do it with Eternity. Ethereum has priced itself out of this uh, to some point, uh, but it's it's a really exciting uh, experience that you you don't have to have anything in between, no roll ups or anything, and it was. It was super exciting this year when I was uh, implementing this uh, to see this happen, right? You you click one button and it's one transaction on the blockchain and it's, it's a microtransaction, right? It's a tenth of a cent or something. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, starting point for us. Um, and uh, But also a great platform for creating something that we feel is going to help us finding traction with uh, Lexon, finding, finding an audience, and that is creating a a uh, science fiction game that is uh, basically using Eternity as a game server, which you can do because it's fast enough and it's cheap enough. So every move is basically um, a transaction on the blockchain. And um, that's that's something that we're working on right now. Yeah, yeah this we were, is great. Uh, go ahead, Hapsol. Yeah, we were going we to get into practical applications, but since you started talking about the game, it, would you we're, like we're to... excited about this one you know you, we, yeah uh, we like it Hansel showed us the the cards and everything and it was you know it was one of those moments where it's like oh this is fun that i get to i get to talk about this for my job i get to go into sci-fi game mode so well you know <laughs> if you if you want to do like um scripting for a game um yeah it can be potentially as complex as as learning a uh you know a whole um computer language for doing scripting in game but like if um, if I could, if I could play a game where I'm part of a guild or something where I can do my own scripting because I actually understand what every everything is in sort of a natural language way, that's incredibly exciting. And the game, the game is attractive, but that component of the game to me seems really exciting. Sorry, yeah, I, I mean that's, that's 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 the hope, right? I mean the the idea is that um, so I have been in game design and game programming, and uh, obviously for a certain type of MMO games. Uh, massively multiplayer games, you always have this uh, high-level game where it's about the clan, right? Where mm -hmm. people are founding guilds and and then have interactions that are actually not really scripted in the game, right? It's between them and they're organizing stuff on top of it. And um, being able to script the rules of the clan like a DAO, basically, because Lexon 0.4 and the next version is going to be centered a lot on DAOs, giving you more options on, uh, with voting and, and stuff like this. Um, it seems like this could be a really exciting um, uh, extension to a game where people can really, you know, go in and, and define exactly how they want to run their clan and define this, have it in human readable language. At the same time, it is tapping directly into the game because the game really runs on the blockchain. It's not by controlled by anyone. It's, it's really out there, decentralized at the end. And uh, the plugins to it are basically... The clans, on the one hand, and also cards that um, are like you, you have in every trading card game where you have a basic set of rules and then every card is basically in its description. Like think of um, uh, um, typical uh, magic games 
uh, in, in their description, the spells are an extension. Think, can you show us some of these while we're talking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, and, and at this point, we are also doing the generative AI thing, um, where where it's like uh, uh, this actually isn't. Um, this is actually done by an artist. Uh, this is supposed to be uh, stardust creatures living in the um, in the void between planets. Um, here we have another one. We're we're using uh, uh, generative AI heavily to to have fun with uh, creating spaces. And these are these are the cards basically that you have. And of course, technically they are NFTs, and um, they are being basically stored as part of the Lexon token mechanism, the part of the Lexon token contract, and the descriptions on the card that are basically the rule and extensions where the rules just, if you discover a new planet, um, then uh, you get a card, right? And that can be any type of extension or a new ship or what have you. And what it can do, the special thing that it can do is going to be Lexon code. So again, it's going to be human readable. It's just like a description on this card, but it is a real plug-in into the mechanism of the game. And then at a certain point, you can craft your own cards and you will be able to write your own Lexon code within certain limits and create your own extensions to the game. So as a gamer, I feel that that could be super interesting. Um, uh, trying to get Lexon be used, um, I think this could also be a very seamless way to just, you know, it's not like writing a whole DeFi uh, smart contract and then hoping it's all going to work. It was just like dabbling in it in the sandbox situation that a game always is. So that's that's our strategy at this point to get Lexon in front of people. Can you can you tell us a little bit about like the the game world itself? Yeah, so that's going to be a trillion planets. Um, I have a little bit of experience <laughs> there. How to generate how to generate huge universes and um, the game design document is actually online at planity.com. Um, that's P-L-E-N-I-T-Y.com. And we'll include uh, a, if you look at it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you look at it, it's basically, it's just describing how we're making a virtue of the limitations of blockchain, right? So you cannot spawn a trillion planets on the blockchain, not even on eternity. That's going to, going to be too expensive. But if you're using a generative um, algorithm that in a nutshell uh, is capable of giving you a trillion planets, depending on what uh, coordinate you're querying it. And then when somebody is actually traveling there, then it is persisted on the blockchain and it, it, is, it actually starts to be terraforming uh, and, and you can you can give it a name. Uh, you can start building stations on it. But so you have a gigantic universe um, that in the beginning is basically seeded from a deterministic formula that comes to life whenever you actually go to a certain point, right? So that's that's the basic idea where you're playing an Android that has a um, a limited lifespan and then you have to find sources of energy, have to hunt these kind of antimatter whales and creatures living between the planets. <laughs> uh, up with other Androids to get there extension codes like there's a good incentive there for uh advanced players to not gank newbies but instead cooperating with them because they have those extension codes and uh that's that's basically going to be the pressure to then form a guild at a certain point and try to break this um to break this clock that keeps ticking and become a 
free Android. Uh, I'm reading Moby Dick right now, so the idea of hunting an antimatter whale is uh, really really speaks to me. Though it sounds it sounds pretty dangerous. Uh. <laughs> well, did you did you notice the name of the whale was was Moby Dark? Yeah, the card um, whale yes. called Moby Dark. Yeah, I think the illusion is clear. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's. Uh, Sorry, go ahead, please. That's supposed to be the atmosphere, right? Moby Dick has a very special, uh, grim, uh, passionate atmosphere. And that's that's for a reason why we have Moby Dark there. Yeah. And um, so when when do I get to become an android? When do I get to uh, start exploring and and chasing, chasing these whales? I can't tell you, but you're really invited to make <laughs> to take in the development process. So mm-hmm. um, please come into the Discord channel. Um, at this point, we're we're out looking for people who are passionate about uh, giving input to this. Um, the individual moving parts are pretty straightforward, right? Um, it's incredible how much you get for free if you use a blockchain as a game server. Actually, <laughs> like mm-hmm. um, I've done this before, and it's 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 pretty fun um, what you can do there, but we're taking our time. We want to do it right. Um, the generative AI stuff, of course, is, is incredibly productive. Um, uh, we're, we're using the game design a little bit um, so that we can adapt to its blurriness, right? Because it's difficult to have the prompt give you exactly what you, what you want. But for trading card game, it makes a lot of sense to, to have this uh, kind of leeway that, that, um, uh, is the result of using generative AI for creating images. But I'm excited about the spaceships that we're getting out of it and the creatures and stuff I mean, mm-hmm. that we've already done there. So yeah, stay tuned. I mean, I'm happy to share um, the latest monsters um, that that we're creating. And then by, by you know, step after step, um, uh, you know, having this game coming together. And awesome. I mean, the first thing would just be uh, give us feedback for the for the game design. I'd love to hear your feedback. Yeah, yeah, we will we'll definitely do that, and we'll in- make sure to include links to the Discord so everyone who listens can get on there and give feedback. <clears throat> and you know, even after this episode airs, we will we should continue to you know tweet out the different cards that are getting made because I think it's going to be a really fun project to that's awesome. You know, yeah. stay abreast of. Um, I. You you talk about using generative AI here, and I'm curious what aspects of the of the game design you're you're finding most useful um, to get this AI assistance. Obviously, you've talked about like the images, which like have this really in, interesting, yeah, like, almost, uncanny valley quality. Everything, everything that doesn't everything that doesn't really matter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all the decoration. They like all the imagery, the we're going to use generative AI for all the rest. We're going to use symbolic AI, which, by the way, programming is too. Mm-hmm. So, but that's how it should be. Like I'm being facetious, but it's still yeah. The generative AI is is for the artistic parts and for the for the stuff that is uh, invoking uh, and that's that's intuitive um, and the hardcore stuff that should not go wrong and shouldn't have hallucinations. That's the stuff that's being programmed, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very I, interested to see. Like, when we have these, we have these little worlds, like you know, the Smallville uh, um, experiment that was done by Stanford, I think, Stanford. this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 
it's uh, fascinating. We're playing around with stuff like that ourselves. And, um, but I'm, I'm very interested to see like over, you know, the course of time, these NPCs talking to each other in these little, um, worlds by themselves, potentially we have, you know, 10 or 20 NPCs living their own little LLM worlds. Like if you were to just leave that for, you know, five years and then come back, what sort of like really dark civilization, <laughs> not, not potentially not civilization, some, some, something really yeah. horrifying, some like dark egregore that has like been born of, of 10 different LLMs hallucinating to each other for years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so certainly. Know, time will tell. Now I get what you were going after. Um, that is at this point not part of the game design. But of course, you want to have talking spaceships and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got um, Lexon working for um, for sort of scripting our DAOs, our guilds. Uh, and what about the Lex token? Is it being used for in-game economy? Oh, yeah. And so the actual credits in the game are actually the Lex token. So because we're issuing a token at any rate, we can also use it in the game. We have all the regulatory stuff in place. And there's another fascinating aspect that we also, because we have KYC, we can create a game design that's actually, that doesn't have to worry about civil attacks, like users creating a lot of um, uh, accounts. So that, that all comes with there being a real, uh, being the Planetary Anstalt being in the background, actually really issuing this token that is also the token that you're using to make, uh, to basically pay for a, a turn, right? So using it for the compiler, using it for the game, it's, it's, the, it's the actual credits in the game. So it's all really using a token for real, right? Um, which which uh, I guess is going to be another exciting uh, element of the game. Yeah, I, I can think um, like, I think EVE, EVE Online, uh, actually, there are probably lots of um, multi uh, MMO RPGs. Uh, they have these really massive uh, multi million dollar economies that are spawned from people um, creating content for the game and uh, trading in game. So it's got, and then. Yeah, I can. I even remember these uh, stories about people who have made like their whole lives about it, and then, uh, you know, uh, in China or whatever, they set up farms for people to, you know, like work all day long, uh, trying to trying to gain the in, you know, actual real world money through doing in game stuff. So it it has uh, real world like when you're using real world token or real world currency, you get um, sort of like real world effects. It's really interesting. And the beauty here is the the game never goes away, right? It's not like I mean, uh, at some point, um, uh, everybody has experienced that their favorite online game is going offline. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, with here, it's like as long you can run your own eternity node, as long as anybody runs an eternity node, the game is going to be there. So the universe mm -hmm. is really has a different kind of uh, staying power than we usually have of companies issuing. So, but is there really nothing that, I mean, so everything can persist on my own computer. Obviously, obviously all the transactions persist forever on the blockchain as long as eternity exists. But so really everything is generally, I mean, like what's the software component that I'm, you know, downloading on my own computer? Well, nothing. It's it's, it's all through the it's, uh, through the browser, right? Okay, it's all browser-based. Okay, yeah. So, 
there's there's not there's nothing in between I and mean, that's the beauty of it that you don't have really middleware or so because the eternity blockchain itself is the game server because it's fast and cheap enough so that's 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 really something it feels great to work with that so it feels pretty special yeah the the economy stuff just feels like it if people get really into the game it has the the perspective or the the prospect of being just so immersive right like it's just uh, this added dimension of of reality and stakes to something and you know you were talking about um these online games my my stepbrother growing up was totally obsessed with everquest and uh just had devoted his life to this game and when he when he finally was like i gotta get out of this and like exited i think he was able to sell his like rare items for you know multiple thousands of dollars and sort of like used it to jumpstart um like a next I mean, he tried to be a professional uh, online poker player after that. So I guess, you know, swapping one type of online economy for another. But that was his first his first bankroll, I think, was his EverQuest items. Um, so this is all to say that I'm going to start studying the cards really well and prepare myself for a massive windfall in, in Lexon tokens. Um, well, the, I think the, the game is, is fascinating, but there are also many other, you know, um, important uses for Lexon and places that it's, it's being applied or people are studying apply it. Obviously we've, we've talked a lot about law and contracts, but where do you see Lexon um, being like carving a role for itself in, in this more quote unquote serious space? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I mean, Lexon is really interesting for computational law where um, to my surprise, uh, really there there were even proposals now to express law like statute in Lexon, which is definitely not what I made it for. Like I was really thinking contracts, but it turns out a lot of law is procedural enough. You could actually use Lexon to express the law. And then the crazy thing is that you can run the law on your computer, right? And then it can really be trustful. It, it's enough if it's a JavaScript uh, implementation that you're using, because uh, the only thing you want to know is for a specific case, what should be the outcome um by the law and that that has been like there's a paper has been written for trade law a paper has been written about uh wills like uh, finding out what the result should be because that that's really convoluted if somebody doesn't leave a will actually about uh unestate uh, estates where you have to figure out by the law who should get what and that's that's often left to laymen uh to figure out and the next one could just be used to express this law and then run it um on a computer. So, and another very pragmatic use case that's maybe also surprising is that um, there um, has been a, a study um, about how Lexon could be used for an art blockchain. And that's actually something that uh, a book will come out soon where um, I'm describing like how an art blockchain could look like. We could have t titles for fine art on the chain and then the contracts where the reason that artists loved uh, NFTs, right, um, is that they are guaranteed to get a cut from the resale. And that's actually something that, by law, in many countries, they should also get from fine art, but they just don't because it's just not happening, right? And it's really difficult to enforce. So having the titles for fine art on the blockchain could solve this, right? And you could, have, you could use the same rails, the same mechanisms that were very successful for the NFT boom 
you could use that for fine art. And then of course you would want to have exactly this, like this is a coda from what we're talking about in the beginning. Um, you would want artists and galleries to understand what the smart contract is though, right? And so it could be written in Exxon. And you can imagine kind of an NFT system for fine art, like NFT really in the sense of non-fungible token uh, as a tech term, tech technical term. And then having the contracts that are actually expressing the titles for, for fine art and what the conditions are being written in Exxon. So an artist can completely um, really articulate what rights they want to give away, what, what cut they want to get from every secondary sale. And everybody can read what the conditions are. And that goes so far that the expectation would be that artists who are, like often artists are not parting with their dearest work, right? Except, of course, in this case, they might be able to articulate conditions in this in the Lexon smart contract that are clearly um, assigning certain rights and, and certain other rights not, uh, or just saying, okay, this, this can only be sold once, or you cannot sell it on, or whatever it is, right? You can write this in, in, the, uh, in the smart contract, and an artist might actually um, uh, feel safe enough to actually also put stuff on the market that they would usually not put on the market. So it could really change the market, uh, apart from that we've seen that, that a new type of investors was coming into the art market with, with the NFT boom. So that's another example where um, just the readability itself is could, could be a boom that makes it possible to, to move an entire uh, industry, uh, like the art industry in this case, uh, into the digital age, um, empowered by Lexon and the transparency that it brings. It's int it's intriguing thinking about um, the first thing you were talking about uh, having Lexon for law besides just contract law, because you can you can imagine a situation where um, somebody breaks the law, and we often have wildly disparate uh, based on based on race or socioeconomic status or just like the 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 fact that the judge ate something you know unpleasant that day and he's in a foul mood or whatever right it seems to me that you could actually you know use like inputs for the crime you know uh here's the the crime that was done the severity the circumstances and then you know output uh, a uniform sentencing structure or something like that, that would... Yes, you're pointing to something that, again, gets very philosophical and also a little bit horrible because <laughs> it's possible, I think. Yeah, so let's get very, very, very philosophical. So abstraction is a real problem, right? Even in philosophy. Because they're always cutting out some concrete things that might actually be significant mm -hmm. because you're having this abstract thought about things, but actually in the concrete case, it might not work because you cut off in the process of abstraction, you cut something off that was relevant. And that's obviously like ontologically very similar to what you just described about sentencing, right? Where it is possible because Lexon is actually a billion times faster than a human judge, right? Um, that's just because how fast we can think as humans and how fast processor cycles are being done by machines, right? So that is a quantitative difference that is a qualitative that has a qualitative aspect to it and it is possible that lexon might help be able to help overcome the problems of abstraction that we see in philosophy and thinking everywhere actually and also in sentencing by being able to 
process more input, more concrete input, more precise input, but also, and that's potentially horrible part of it, um, execute more complex rules. So, frighteningly, Lexon might be part of an answer where you actually have more complex rules, because Lexon can deterministically execute them and will not make the mistakes that humans are making, which is why we are, you know, at a certain point, try to not have more rules. Also, of course, it doesn't make sense if there are rules that nobody knows, right? But there's, you still expect it to um, uh, comply to them because they are the law. That's that's not where it should ever go. But at the same time, I'm super curious exactly about this. Could Nexon, in the end, help making things more just? Because it is able to follow rules more strictly, and then rules could be more detailed. And by this, less abstract and more exact. Is there... Yeah, that could actually... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that, is, that is actually... Um, it's, it's almost like in math, right? At a certain point, you, can, you, can, you might be able to cancel certain things out that now you have to have in the law to make it possible for humans to admin, administer it, and, and a machine might not be needing them. So it could, in the end, be more just. Yeah, it just that gave me another is, horrifying thought, though, which is that the criminal justice system might get so efficient that they and there are so many rules. You know, like we we all break the law all the time, every whoa, day. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Speak for yourself. I mean, you know, there's so many there's well, so many regulations on the book, is what I mean. That that people are not yeah. aware that they are and, breaking and laws, and we just not only we, that. Sorry, go ahead. No, I I was just gonna say yeah, that like. We, we don't actually, most of us, want to live in a world in which every law is enforced perfectly. Like, I don't right, think yeah. that we want to live in a world where every time you speed, you you get a fine. Or, you know, there, there are, there's no room for considering circumstance. And obviously, like, unequal application of the law and something, like you said, such as sentencing, is a huge problem. Um, but it's also, it feels dangerous to potentially have a system in which there is no consideration of of circumstances and i think that you know that becomes a, a tricky situation where you have to to balance that right like if you're you know speeding to get to the hospital because your your wife is in labor i think most of us would agree it's like all right let's get her to the hospital um yeah and, but that's that's a good example yeah uh, that can be added uh, because, added programmatically can it you get but, oh, but it's impossible to add programmatically like every you know extenuating circumstance that we like it, it uh, sounds like you can it sounds like you can do that that's my point. <laughs> all right all right you just gotta write yeah take your time but also, I mean, you will always have oracles so to say right you can always write like what what you can always have an overwrite function where somebody can come in and uh, because they have that right because they're the judge just say no we won't do it like this. I mean, the horrible part is more like uh, you you now have in the U.S. mandatory sentences being uh, basically spelled out by black box uh, AI mm -hmm. machines, right? That's already the reality. And Lexon here only is going to make it more transparent and more mm -hmm. accessible. So, but yes, um, still the example with the speeding, that's exactly where that comes in, right? Maybe... It could be fairer by having all these exceptions being spelled out in a some in, in some way, and I don't want to. This is this is um, this can easily get 
um, there's like a too fantastic uh, discussion here, but still the, the underlying um, problem I think is that if you have gray zones, right. And if you have this kind of leeway for law enforcement to enforce and not enforce, that is actually exactly what dictatorships use. Right. Mm -hmm. So people censor themselves because you don't know exactly where the boundary is because it's not clearly spelled out. So surprisingly the, the, you know, the kind of, yeah, that's, you know, gives law enforcers the possibility to be human. At the same time, that's exactly the tool that dictatorships use, this gray area. I, the, so that's, thing, that's totally. And I mean, you know, I, I think about something like we're just constantly coming up against um, the question now of places where perhaps some sort of automated system or computer system or AI enhanced system or blockchain system, like might reach the correct outcome more often, but somehow we feel queasy about giving it over to a, a non-human authority. I mean, I think about like self-driving cars, right? Where they're, let's say they reach a um, a place where they're, they're you know, 100% unequivocally safer than humans. It would still feel as a driver, like tough to surrender this control, right? Um, to a machine, even if you knew that statistically, you're less likely to get in an accident. Um, that's that's happening now, by the way. Like Elon, no, totally. e Elon has said that they get sued by people who get into accidents who definitely would have died if they had been driving the car themselves. You know, so this is this is happening now that people are like blaming, um, blaming self driving cars or whatever for for. Of course, yeah, yeah. and I mean, yeah. this is just a, a a sticky, difficult situation where it's like um, <laughs> to we're we're going to just be grappling with this in every industry for, you know, for, for a long time um, about where we're comfortable letting these boundaries lie and, and what we value because, you know, this, this transparency is hugely important and other things just continue, you know, may get muddled as well. And it's, it'll be a process, right? It'll just be, it'll be a process. And hopefully we, we iterate in the right direction. Yes. And I mean, again, um, what Lexon adds is, more or less just the transparency because mm -hmm. the mandatory sentences from a AI black box already exist. Right? Yeah. Before we wrap up, I, I just want to ask what's on the roadmap for Lexon in the near future? Yeah. So um, one thing I can't wait is uh, to actually do these experiments that uh, we've been talking about um, using generative AI to create Lexon code and then take it from there. So at this point, there's no real experimentation. We did a little bit of, you know, try to, what, what happens if you ask ChatGPT, write Lexon code, that was not convincing yet. But I'm sure you can give it a, the right prompts and then do amazing things, right? Where the whole pipeline is, uh, is, is even much more magical and much more um, productive through that. So um, that is one thing. The other thing, as I mentioned, like on this, you know, um, Strictly on uh, how the grammar is is going to grow, that is going towards the the DAO um, use cases, where we have created the roadmap. Basically, what type of um, additional verbs and uh, and and words uh, Lexon is going to understand with uh, version zero point four, and um, then there's this uh, fascinating one click deployment um, that that is in reach, where you can basically uh, as we have it now, the, compil the compiler is basically giving you code that you then compile to the smart contract on the blockchain. But um, 
it's really in batting range now that we can just have one button that is also doing this deploying for you, obviously. And um, there's one additional magic that Lexon comes with that is because it is self-documenting. It is also very powerful as a starting point for generating GUIs, right? To have the user interface, a generic user interface, but still something where somebody who has no idea about programming can go the whole way and just have, you know, start with a Lexon blueprint, adapting it, compiling it, uh, deploying it, and also then have an interface to, uh, to interoperate with a contract, which is possible because the blockchain gives you so much where it's just always on and it's just there. Uh, as, as the back end, so to say, and you just have to give people an HTML5 um, that you generate from the source code, which which Lexon is very powerful, um, that can do it. On the token side, um, uh, obviously, um, we just launched the, the Lex token, and that is going to be um, a very central part for the game. And there's also going to be a token for Ethereum, where uh, the focus is basically with a little bit of a different business model because Ethereum is so much more expensive, um, a very similar play like uh, we have a eternity at this point. All right, Henning, thank you so much. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation about not only an interesting project, but an important project. And we will make sure to include all the links in the show notes so our listeners can go and get more information about Lexon, play around with it, learn about the game and give feedback in the discord because i think this is a project that people are really going to want to stay on top of so really once again thank you so much for for joining us today and chatting with us yeah that would be lovely thank you so much it was great thanks for having me yeah awesome well to to everyone out there thank you for listening and we will see you next time on the network age thank you for listening for more Network Age content, you can find us on Twitter at Network Age Pod. We've also got a beautiful new presence online, which you can find at ookbar.network forward slash age. Also, find us on Apple or Spotify. Leave us a good review, and we may even read it on air. Until next time, this has been the Network Age.